Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. everybody, welcome to another episode of Broadway Breakdown. I am one half of your hosts, Matt Koplick. Your other half host, John Miscavige, is not here. You may wonder where he is. The question is, I don't know. I think he's dead. You think he's dead? I think he's dead. Hey, what's his last name, Miscavige? Wascavige. Oh, I was going to say, what if he's related to the people from Scientology and that's why he's dead? Maybe. David Miscavige? And his, his missing wife, I mean, I wouldn't. Be- I would not doubt that John is um, somehow involved in all of that. Now you're wondering who's that less feminine speaking voice than John Miscavige is. <laughs> the answer is Miss Allie Gordon. Aye. Allie Gordon uh, is a UCBer. You can see her on that commercial for New Year's Eve with uh, Anderson Cooper. Yep. And uh, what's his face? Andy Cohen. Andy Cohen. That one's done now. Yeah, but it's I've not- got one coming out sometime soon where I have fake bangs. You're so if bangs. you've ever wondered what I look like with bangs, you will see it. It's soon. like a bang merkin? A merkin for bangs? Uh, uh, basically. Oh, that's amazing. The ad is not about bangs. What's it for? A cable company. What? But they gave me bangs for the commercial. Okay. <laughs> I have no I don't I'm know. I guarantee you're gonna love no. it. The most important thing about Allie Gordon you should know is that I've known her for 13 years yeah, now? Yeah, you were my prom date my junior year of high school. Yes, I was because Allie had good taste yes. junior year of high school. I, I mean, you danced the entire time, which is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, my feet hurt and you rubbed my feet, which I remember my friends were like, that's so amazing. And you were like, what can I say? I'm chivalrous. Oh my God, I was. Yeah. I don't remember doing that. It was like for a minute. It wasn't like for no. an eternity. Not like you were like a foot I creep. was a lot nicer and more considerate in high school. I, we I, all were. We, were yeah. we didn't know what the world was going to be like. I just really <laughs> wanted people to like me in high school. And then when all those people that I worked so hard to like me forgot about me come college, I was like, well, what's the use? So this is all going to lead into <laughs> why Allie is here. We are starting a uh, stream of episodes for Broadway Breakdown called My Obsession. Uh, John will be joining us eventually for these. Not today, but... If we can ever find him. If we can ever find him. He has been very busy with his new uh, web series for the Stage Network, Smashed. The uh, premiere episode came out today, this Friday, March 8th. Today's March 8th. I was like, (laughs) what the... I think so, yeah. I had to do the math in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 This March 8th, uh, the first episode came out. Watch it. It's very funny. Uh, But Allie is our uh, inaugural guest that's oh the right word inaugural yeah that'll yes. work so the whole idea of this is they're all gonna be focused on one specific thing that our guest is obsessed with um it can be a show it can be a person it can be a writer it can be an event in theater history um i have a gazillion Allie has a gazillion i've asked her to come up with one today yeah um uh let's get into it let's just get into it because it's gonna be a long time so we did we talked a little bit on like text out what i should do yes because I feel like other people are going to come to, potentially come to the table with other things I could come to the table with. Like one of the things that I said was specifically the John Doyle revival of Sweeney Todd that I saw 10 times on Broadway. Yes, you did. I mean, it's amazing. Yes. You were, I remember your stories about Closing Night. The cast called you Weepy. Yep. Because you cried all the time. Yep. Um, and you, I remember your story about Patty Lapone uh, carrying all the things out of her dressing yep. room. She on stole everything night. out of her dressing room, including yeah. the wall clock. Mm-hmm. So if anybody ever wanted to know if Patty Lapone steals stuff out of her dressing room, she do. She's a Broadway mother. She's she's straight up. She do. She's literally. Um, if they were ever to do Broad City the musical, she'd play Alana's mom. Absolutely. Maybe I'd like to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're 
That's both of our obsessions. That's not the obsession. We're going to talk about a very popular play yeah. that I know a lot about. Yeah, so I, I mean, and everybody does because it was such a big hit. And that's mm-hmm. why I obviously chose to do it because I was hoping to be the first person to do it so I could beat everybody else who was going to run here to talk about it. Uh, which is a play that played for about six months, maybe. No, probably less. No, probably. I looked it up. It's like you three how, months. You want to know how many performances how it ran many? for? Well, so are we talking like post-opening? Sure. Post-opening? 30 performances. Yeah, that's It ran for a month after it opened. And how many previews did it have? Like a month? Yeah. Okay. It was a big show. It was a huge show. It is called Quorum Boy. It was a play that was at the Broadway Theater. Imperial. Oh my god, fuck. The Imperial. Well, I only know all this because I I IBDB'd it before you came here. Yes. Um... We'll, we'll do we'll do a whole big uh, setup of everything. I will just say I know very little about this play, and I've known Allie Gordon for 13 years, yep. and she was obsessed with it when it was on Broadway, and I never went with her. I never really inquired about it. I couldn't have taken it. you if I wanted to. It closed like four <laughs> it days closed later. It closed really fast. It closed really fast. I wanted people to come see it because I thought it was astounding. Um, okay, so I want to give a little backstory on, on Corn Boy, period. Yes. Corn Boy was something that was, I think, commissioned by the National Theater in London mm-hmm. off of a popular British novel called mm-hmm. Corn Boy. It is based in fact, which is that uh, back in the early, like late 1800s in Lo- Britain and specifically London, there were so many women who were giving up babies mm-hmm. that like literally you couldn't like go walk in the woods or like be in back alleys without finding like abandoned babies because men were like forcing themselves on like poor women and being like, oops, you have a baby. Nobody tell nobody it's mine or I'll kill you. Yeah. And like she'd be like, what the fuck? I'm a poor woman and I have a baby now. And they'd be like, I hope someone finds it. And they'd like abandon babies at churches and da da da. And uh, other people who were uh, rich people who were very um, generous would found, f- fund orphanages. Mm-hmm. Nice ones, not like Oliver Twist ones. Yeah. Uh, including real life person John Frederick Handel. The composer who had like 16 kids. Of, of Messiah. Yes. Who like loved kids famously mm-hmm. and had like a bunch of kids and was just like a very much a family guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like would have like boys come sing in his like the, the boy soprano parts in his choir and stuff. Like he was a person who funded these like quorum hospitals. Mm-hmm. That's where the name comes from. Um, so the play is about that, but it's about a million things. It takes place over like 25 years of time. It's mm-hmm. very British in that way. Yeah. Um, it has like a huge cast with an onstage choir that sings Handel music and like the Messiah at the end. Mm-hmm. By the way, I am Jewish, as are you. I don't know why I like fucking was like so apeshit for this, but like it was like the most beautiful thing. It was, I thought it was beautifully staged. It was, a, it is, it continues to be a hit in London. Yeah. They will still do it around Christmas time. Because I, I, I was looking it up and I'm like, what do you mean there have been like multiple productions now? It barely ran here. They People in London fucking love it. Isn't people in it, America fucking were like, what is this fucking garbage? Get it out of my stage. I think, I don't know. It's very interesting. The things that blew up in London that like barely registered here or the things that like barely registered here that have, uh, or the things that barely registered there that blew up here. Um, I mean, like it's, it's I don't know, uh, like West Side Story famously ran like five times longer in london than it did here they didn't so know bizarre. what to do with it and like my fair lady ran less there than it did here also i'm gonna get off topic a little bit sure but i you're the only person i can talk to about this carolina change is opening up in london again yes do, do you think do london do london audiences like and get that show it seems well, so intensely it's their, american it's their second time doing it that's the so thing they like it well i don't i don't know because apparently it's not doing super well uh it was Taken to the national right after it closed, so it closed here in two thousand four. Carolina Change. It's um, an undeniably fantastic. Musical. It's one of the biggest. It's one of the best musicals of the last thirty years. It's but a masterpiece. It's so. It is very American. American, but I think it, well, it's American in its uh, plot and characters and sort of like it's a, in terms of what it's about. But I think the aesthetic is very British. I get um, that. It's I, very abstract and it has actors playing uh, inanimate and, objects yeah. and all that stuff. And but it's, even then, it's like about like the minutia of the social strata of America in the South. Oh, no, they! It doesn't matter where it is. West End theater loves social structure. That's so true. Um, British people love class. What am I even asking? Mm-hmm. See, I needed to talk it out with oh, you. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's to say corn boy. That is to say corn boy. Sorry. <laughs> that's a corn boy. I, you, you and I, we I don't talk, talk about theater the way I talk with anybody else the way I talk about it with you, which yes. is why I was like, I have to ask Maggie about Yes, Kyler. and when I asked Ali if she wanted to do this, immediately she goes, anything to talk shop with you. Truly. And I was like, this is great. I, and that's why I also was like, what do you want me to talk about? I'll fucking, we'll fucking figure it out. Oh, my God. Out. Anyone who listens to this podcast normally is going to be like, what do you mean I'm getting all this information in this episode? Usually when it's me and John, 
John's like, what's this? And I just, really? and I, well, no, John's very smart, but he's also very, very funny. And like, just will make one liners that I, I can't think of am because I not funny? you're not funny. You're oh a God. woman. Oh, shit. Um, that's oh right. God. We said it. No, just <laughs> I, when I start talking about something historically speaking, or if I'm getting into facts, my sense of humor kind of goes away. Yeah, because uh, we got important things to say. Sure. Well, I just because that's when Rain Man kicks in, and I I go into the facts and I go into the people, and because that interests me, that always interests me, and I I get hung up if I don't remember a fact a hundred percent accurately. I'm like, I think it's nineteen forty seven, forty eight, and John's like, who's who's keeping the receipts, Matt? Yes. And he'll and he'll make remarks about that. So you know, when remember like a long time ago when you were like things that audiences in London like it's weird what American audiences like or don't like. Yeah. So. Corn Boy, which preceded Warhorse. Yes, it did. Is Warhorse. It mm-hmm. is Warhorse. Uh, it is in terms bes- of plot or in what? In terms of literally everything, it Tell is us. crazy to me that Corn Boy flopped so terribly when Warhorse didn't. Okay. So because that- here's what I liked about Warhorse amazing staging, mm-hmm. great cast, big cast, um, really inventive ways of telling story, mm-hmm. uh, an unusually, like, quote unquote, epic mm-hmm. story, like, not just like, it's all my sons. It takes place in this house, and it's about this one family. Like, yeah. it is like a truly like generational epic story mm-hmm. about lots of characters and lots of people with amazing stagecraft, and it's all about like sitting in the theater and enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Nobody would be like, you can watch Warhorse. I don't know, fucking get it on VHS. Like, you that you have to be in the that theater. show was like, go see it for the th- experience. Yeah, that and also its cons were. Kind of convoluted, way too many people, yeah. a little saccharin. Mm-hmm. All of those things are the flaws of Corn Boy also. Sure. It is the same everything. And well, we fucking ate up Warhorse and we did not like Corn well, Boy. So, okay. I don't understand that. Let's put a pin in that and we'll come back to it. But let's explain a bit more of Corn Boy to our audiences. Cool. Because like me, all these people are going to know about Corn Boy is IBDB information and the Wikipedia page, which doesn't give you a lot. Yeah. Um, the, the plot is a little hard to explain because there's so much of it. So it would be like a, sitting down and being like, the plot of Great Expectations. So okay. we're, in an, we're in England and there's an orphanage. That's just the backdrop, honestly. The main characters are, in the first act, we're introduced to like two sets of main characters. Okay. There is the uh, school for musicians mm-hmm. where these boys are training to be like boy sopranos who like want to do it, who want to make music for the rest of their lives. They like want to be choir masters or musicians or whatever it is they want to like make music professionally so it's like um great expectations meets fame meets black swan yeah yeah kind of love it so i'm trying to sell this play to our listeners i like it um (laughs) and in and in that plot Mm -hmm. uh the boy sopranos are played by uh adult women great um and which i also liked because that's the only thing i can play so i was like great i love the show i better run forever i'm gonna be in it um, and the main character is this kid named Alexander. He has an amazing voice and he wants to be a musician. Mm-hmm. It is expected of him that he's going to take over his family's uh, estate and sure. be a, like a lord of the manor or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And he's being like, and basically his father has said, until your voice breaks, you can have your fucking fun. Mm-hmm. But once you become a man and your voice breaks and you can't do this stupid thing anymore, you have you, you can go do this for now, but you have to come home and you have to like be the be lord the person, when yeah. you come back. And he's just been like dreading that and dreading that and dreading that because he writes beautiful music and it, like, is a, his whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, like, subplot of that is that there are these two characters. There is an adult man who's, like, a shyster gravedigger. And then his son named Meshach, who just has, like, seizures. He's got a lot of problems. Um, There's some Nicholas Nickleby in there, too. This is very, it's all very British. It's very Nicholas yeah. Nickleby. The, uh, the guy, Meshach, um, so the guy, oh, the guy who is the, the person who's, like, the shyster, uh, says he works for the Quorum Hospital, mm-hmm. will go to women who have to get rid of their babies ASAP, promise them that they're going to go to this amazing, beautiful hospital, take the woman's money, take an allowance from her every month, go into the woods and bury the baby and kill it. Fun. Right. So there, So that's like one of the, that's like this dark B-plot underneath. Yes. Um, and uh, the son, Meshach, who's like probably late teenage at this time, mm-hmm. is like obviously extremely... He's very sensitive. He, like, loves the babies. It's, like, very hard on him. He gets these seizures, and when he has these seizures, what he sees is this, like, beautiful angel. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, his one respite is, like, seeing this angel and, like, I don't know, loving her sure. in, in his own way. But his dad is, like, abusive and is just, like, get the fuck up. <laughs> um, 
flash forward a little bit, I'm really skipping a lot of stuff. Alexander goes home to his family uh-huh. over the break. He takes with him his really, really good best friend, Thomas, who's like, Alexander's an amazing musician. You gotta listen to his music. It's amazing. His whole family loves it. Their nurse slash, like, main head maid mm-hmm. is Jan Maxwell. Uh. Jan Maxwell has, like, a f- friends with benefits fuck relationship with the guy who's the guy who kills the babies. Yes. Sometimes she'll hook him up with people because she gets, like, the insider info from, like, the high society. People will be like, blah, 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 fucked, blah, blah, blah. And now she has a kid and it's got to get rid of it. And he'll, yeah. like, he'll go get rid of the baby and yeah. they'll share the money to do that, do that. That's who Jan Maxwell is. Oh my God, that's um, so intense. I love it. It is intense. And she was amazing and it was very sexy. Um, <sighs> Jan Maxwell, I adore. I think about her all the time and I cry. Um, I do too. For real. Uh, so he, while he's home for this like summer break, um, Thomas, his friend, is like, you know what we got to do? Your dad just doesn't know how amazing your music is. He just still thinks of you as like a little kid who sings. Mm-hmm. But if we put on a little concert and I play the violin and we teach the music to your siblings, we'll have like at your dad's birthday party or your mom's birthday party, whatever it is, let's sing one of your songs and they're going to be like, oh my God, he's a genius. And we're going to like invest in his future. And Alexander's like, I really don't know if that's true. And he's like, trust me, it's, it's got to work. On the night that that happens, in front of everybody, his voice breaks. <gasps> no! It's devastating. He's like trying to sing this song. He like doesn't have the notes anymore. His voice keeps cracking. Oh. And his dad is like, uses it as leverage to be like, I told you. It's just yeah. like a foolish thing kids fucking do. Mm-hmm. A little bit of backstory while he's home with his friends and stuff. His younger sister, Isabel, has invited her best friend, Melissa, to come stay. Mm-hmm. Who's not of the same social status, but is like a really good friend of hers. So he's the only person in the house that's, like, not of, like, relation to them. Mm-hmm. She and Alexander kind of have a thing. In okay. that In that moment when he's, like, devastated and is like, I'm going to run away. I got to get out of here forever. They fuck. Great. Um, Kids fucking. And then, and then yes. It's, I mean, they're, like, I think they're, like, 17. Yeah, well, because it's, um, in those days, boys' voices cracked much later. I don't know what it was. It was, like, something about, uh... Like viruses or whatnot. Also, like, he like had been doing it forever. I think we're supposed to be under the impression that like they're like 16, 17, okay. these kids. Which again is also when kids had babies back then in like the late 1800s. But yes, he, they're not like 12 year olds. They're no, older. it's not spring awakening. It's not spring awakening. So he is like, I'm, I gotta run away because my father's gonna force me into this life I can never have. Xanthi Albert runs away <laughs> forever. Yeah. Uh, this girl, Melissa, has a baby. She's like, oh, Jesus, fuck. <laughs> Jan Maxwell's like, I know what to do with this baby. Oh, no. And so the understanding from the audience's perspective is, oh, my God, this baby that I fucking care about is going to go get buried in the woods and killed forever. But? But Meshach saves the baby. Because when he sees Melissa, this young girl, yeah. he's like, oh, my God, she's the angel. <gasps> so he, save, he saves the baby and runs away. Second act. Uh, tw- nine and a half years later. I was about to say, like, end of scene three, act one. No, no, no. I'm trying to go really fast through this. There is a lot of stuff. Yeah. I'm cutting out a bunch. Act two opens with Alexander's kid, who's named Aaron, who's mm-hmm. an orphan, living at a quorum hospital, mm-hmm. who has a beautiful voice, mm-hmm. who never knew his parents, never knew his family. The only person he's close to outside of the hospital is Meshach, who has now run away and is like, I don't know, works on the like works at the place in the fields, just mm-hmm. as like manual labor. Sure. He's just like his older friend, but he like loves him. He like treats him like a like a son. Great. Because he raised he Let's get to scene two. Like. He didn't okay, well, I just wanna I just wanna clarify because I think people could think that what I'm saying sounds creepy and it's very not creepy. There's creepiness in this play already, so you just gotta let go. I of just it. wanted to make sure people sure. people understand that this 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 me- mentally slow person is loves this kid like a son mm-hmm. who he raised because it's like the angel he calls him like angel yeah. child, not because he's a creep. No. Have okay. you seen uh Ferryman, by the way? Yes. Okay. So is it similar to like Tom is that his name? Uh, no. <laughs> the guy with the bunny rabbit? Uh, kind of. Where? Okay. Just in terms of like, in terms of slowness, I mean. It's not like Grapes of Wrath, if, if that if that you makes You mean of sense. Mice and Men? Yep, 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 <laughs> yep, 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 <laughs> Trying to I got John lit- Steinbeck. <laughs> you did. You got John Steinbeck. Literary references. Different Steinbeck. Different Steinbeck. Yes. Um, so anyway, this kid Aaron is like, I've got a beautiful voice. And someday I'm going to get out of this hospital and I'm going to sing in Handel's Choir. And everyone's like, I hope so, dude. You're great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're really excellent. This dialogue is so great. <laughs> well, that's why the play was so good. I, I hope so, dude. You're really good. I'm, I, this is so hard to try and summarize. Because, like, the the good part about the play and its flaw was that how much it covered. Because yeah. it's an entire novel. And it, like, yeah. really travels a lot of time. Um, 
when he get, when this kid like gets accepted to the choir, mm-hmm. um, who's by the way his best friend is this kid named Toby, who is Uzo Aduba. Again, it's adult women playing little boys. Sure. Who's like, oh man, like you're gonna go live this cool like life as a as like in the choir and stuff. I wonder who I'm gonna get it like assigned a to. Uh, he gets assigned to this like new money kind of rich guy and it's like ooh cool I'm gonna do like livery for them like I'm gonna be like a cool kid like whatever finds out that they are selling and smuggling kids also it's the guy from earlier who is burying the babies who escaped being persecuted the first time and has like shysted his way up to being so he's gonna smuggle Uzo Aduba basically no Uzo right and also all these other kids too which is how they'll but tie like, back But those are together. other kids. They're not Uzo. Yeah, I know. And Uzo's amazing. Yeah. Uzo's like a little kid who's like, wow, you're, this place is so cool. And the guy's like, no, nobody, no, tell nobody Wait, about what will happen here because I'll just, cut your tongue out. It's Thoroughly Modern Millie now. It, it, oh yes, my yes, God. Yes, 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 Everything. Yes, yes. Okay, it becomes it's Thoroughly all Modern the musicals. Millie. Shit. Meanwhile, Aaron, who is now split from his best friend, who's like, you're going to go work for that rich guy. He now sings with Handel's choir. They mm-hmm. tour around and stuff like that. And his choir master is his father, Alexander. Uh, who did run away and did go work for Handel and become this, like, um, great musician in his own right. But they have no fucking clue because Alexander has no idea he had a son. Yeah. Ever. And that's... so when he sings, they're like, when he sings, they're like, oh, my God, this kid, like, Alexander, like, that's that's what you used to sound like. And he's like, yeah, but it's a sore subject, so let's, like, not Let's really. not talk about it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's, that's so heartbreak for me, but okay, thank you. Yeah. Um at one point, the choir comes back to sing at the Ashbrook Manor where Alexander grew up because ever since Alexander ran away, his family has been, like, devastated. And the mom's like, this house is missing music. It used to give us joy. It got fucking snuffed out because my husband was such an asshole and Alexander ran away because of it. I invited this choir to come sing here. Mm-hmm. Through circumstance that I don't want to fucking go into too much, it is revealed eventually, oh my God, this kid is the kid that Melissa and Alexander had. Jan Maxwell has some information. She's the one who's, she's the linchpin to everything, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But again, fast forward a little bit. This climactic scene happens because the kids get smuggled onto this boat to be like sold. Mm-hmm. And both Uzo Duba and uh, Aaron are on the, oops, the mic. Aaron are on the boat. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my God, we're never going to see the kid again. I just found out I had a son and I'm going to lose him for the rest of my life. Meshach, who like slips his way onto the boat, yeah, uh, saves their lives. He goes to fight his what was his like father Mm -hmm. um there's this crazy scene where they get thrown overboard off the boat and he jumps in to save them but he can't swim it's the most amazing thing i've ever seen staged on a stage live Uh where without doing like dumb like we're swimming like they just like they unrolled the cellophane curtain at the front of the stage Mm -hmm. and the lighting was amazing and he just sort of like i don't know he put he saves their lives meshach dies Mm -hmm. the end of the play is like oh my god everybody's got back together again you're my son who i never knew i had you're gonna come live with us too toby uzo aduba because you're great we're all back together there's music back at ashbrook manor everything's okay it's a little saccharine sweet whatever and then jen maxwell comes in and kills them all Uh, uh, yeah and then she kills them all and then everybody sings the hallelujah chorus because there's been a a a chorus on stage the entire time they've been singing beautiful music and the lights swell this beautiful bright white and then it's the end of the show Great. So here's the thing. I think that the show would have run so much longer if it were a real musical and Jan Maxwell had the 11 o'clock number where she comes in and she's like, I have all the info. Here's who you are. Here's yeah, who you are. you had are. a baby. You did it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and the title of the song would become, Here's Who You Are. Um, <laughs> I Did that show come out around the same time as Little Mermaid? Because I could have sworn. It might when, have. I could have sworn Little Mermaid came out. People were saying that there was one underwater effect that Little Mermaid had that was cool and was really the only time that anyone was on wires. It was the only underwater effect for Mermaid that was good. And everybody was like, well, they just stole that from Corin Boy. And I'm like, well, nine people saw Corin Boy. So they'll never know. But yeah. I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing stage magic that the guy who played Meshach was just standing at the front and Mm -hmm. the two kids came in on wires Mm -hmm. very slowly. So it all looked like it was slow underwater. Yeah. But it wasn't like water waves people holding things on no. the sides of the stage like, like it was like this like very elegant like sure. cellophane curtain the lighting was amazing 
The way that it was staged was amazing. The whole thing was gorgeous. That moment is probably the most iconic, and I bet you if you Googled it, you could find video of that moment. I think it's But even in the earlier parts of it, there was like a turntable that was really elegantly used and not overused. I love a turntable. Used both with like scene change elegance, but Mm -hmm. also like with like when the kid is singing and his voice breaks, like he, like Xanthi Elbrick rotates to the back of the stage and the adult actor rotates to the front. Oh no. It was like like really lovely, understated, nice stuff that Mm -hmm. was like, I don't know. I, I thought it was great. They, they, when they were burying the babies, like, they had trapdoors all over the stage, but it was underneath soil. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just like, go bury this baby. Clunk! No. Like, like they would dig, yeah. and then they would overturn the thing and put the thing in there, and then put the, like, and it was, I don't know, the, the angel came in on wires. It was really okay. beautiful. So, now we kind of know Corin Boy. Yeah, oh my god. Nine I think hours I did a later. Bad job. I'm so um, sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, how long have we been recording for? Probably I 45 minutes because I said so much about well, that. Well, we, we did cover our past for a very long time. I think you've probably only talked about Corn Boy for probably like 10 minutes in terms of plot, which oh honestly, like, if you were to ask me to give you the plot of Angels in America. In I 10 think, minutes, right. Yeah. You'd be like, like, I don't know. He fucking comes back and he's sick. Okay. Yeah, so he's my, sick. There's AIDS <laughs> and then Lewis is back and he's the worst. Right. Um, how. Did you come into Corum Boy? Like, how did it come into your life? Just like saw it saw. randomly. Saw it with a friend. Mm-hmm. I think it was their idea to see it. I don't remember ever at some point me being like, "I want to see Corum Boy." Mm-hmm. I think I was like taken to see Corum Boy. At the end of the show, my friend and I were both crying so hard that we went into the ladies' room to cry because everybody had left the seats already, and mm-hmm. we were like embarrassed. So we were like, "Well, let's just go clean up in the bathroom," mm-hmm. and we cli- cried again for so long and so hard there that a janitor knocked on the door and was like, everyone's left the theater. You've got to go. Yeah. And we got, like, kicked out. We, like, closed the place down and got kicked out from crying so hard. I think that could have happened to me if I had not run out of the theater when I saw Significant Other on Broadway. I love Significant Other. Um, I saw it off-Broadway, and then I saw it again on Broadway, and my life had just aligned so much with it by the time it came to Broadway that I had to run out of the theater. They were doing the... uh, Broadway Cares collections at the end of the show and I remember running past Rebecca Nomi Jones she was like holding a bucket to my face I was like no I gotta go and I literally ran home yeah. uh, because I was living not very far from the theater at the time and just stopped and I'm a I'm a crier as yes, we've already est- uh, whoops, established yeah. with Weepy yes. and stuff like that so it's not like it's not like theater doesn't make me cry but like I was hysterical yeah I also got hysterical maybe that year and if not that year sometime very soon after at um uh uh, Passing Strange. Oh, Passing, Passing Strange, Strange really got me. Passing Strange, babe. That show, I mean, thank God that it's been preserved uh, with the Spike Lee yeah. movie version of it. But, like, God, that show needs to come back. That show got... Shafted. Yeah, really it really shafted. did. It was so I think beautiful. we're ready for it now. I think so, And I don't too. think we were. Same thing with Carolina Change. Just bring it up. Same thing with Carolina oh, Change. My God. And also, while we're at it, let's try Spider-Man again. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Let's just try it. Let's just try it. Let's see where it goes. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge. I actually do think if Corn Boy were to come now, it would do really well. And here's why. Why? I have found within the last few years, it is the works that are the most earnest that have the biggest impact. Um, yeah. Like... We, I mean, we love now the whole self-aware meta-commentary stuff, um, which I, granted, I love myself. Like, 30 Rock kind of introduced me to that style of comedy, and I, you know, will love it to the day I die. But, like, think about the Disney movies that have had the biggest cultural impact. It's not the ones like Moana. The the aware ones. Yeah. The ones that are, like, very earnest. No, it's, yeah. And, like, you can still be very smart and earnest at the same time. Uh, I think that theater has taken a minute to to catch up with that because i think in the early 2000s we were sort of on a cynical train Mm -hmm. um we liked sort of poking fun at theater we liked uh our our dramatic works to be uh a little more edgy and i think with war horse started the wave of more earnest dramatic work such as like theater of enhancing or Hamilton. Even, I mean, Hamilton is self-aware, but, like, the moments that people cry the biggest at Hamilton are... the are, super earnest ones. Yeah, it's not the ones where Hamilton's like, we're in a musical, change the key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, like, when Philip dies, spoiler alert. Right. Um, yeah, all or, of Quorum... Yeah. Literally all of Quorum Boy feels like the moment where Philip dies. Like, right. that's the tone and the earnestness and the drama of the whole thing. Was there any levity to it? Yeah, totally. Especially with the adults who played kids. Mm-hmm. They all were really great actors who, like, really played it with truth and so all the moments with like 
they all were great. It was never like Annie, and it was never like ruthless. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I just had. I I did though have um a very morbid thought of like a moment of comedy with Jan Maxwell and all the trapdoors burying the babies like noises off for a moment of laughter. <laughs> oh my god, where'd they go? <laughs> She's like she overcommits herself to burying too many babies, <laughs> and it's like twenty trapdoors. It's like what up? <laughs> um. Uh, ah! The youngest sibling of the Ashbrooks, who is like a five-year-old, was played by Kristen Milioti, pre-fame. Shut up! She was, speaking yeah. of moments of levity, fucking great. I'll bet. Because like, again, it's hard to find an actress who's like, I will play a five-year-old. Mm-hmm. I will not play them for laughs, but I will be funny. Mm-hmm. And I will play it like for real. And like, obviously, because we already have like adult women playing little boys, like the artifice is already there. And we're like, yeah. we're not like, that's not a five-year-old. So sure. she just like. She was just fucking funny. Yeah. She was great. It was like an all-star cast. You really, I I remember you really have opinions about kids playing kids in shows. You prefer adults playing kids. A lot of times I do. It really depends on the show. Sure. Um, But I think if you're gonna make, if you're gonna write a show with a kid lead, I think if you're not thinking from the get-go, is this an adult or a kid, Mm -hmm. you've already failed at step one. Okay. That's my opinion. What is a show for you that had a kid that you thought would have benefited more with an adult playing the kid? Matilda. Really? Now, were those kids who played Matilda amazing? Fucking incredible. Mm Mm-hmm. Incredible. So, like, this is not, like, a me being, like, kids suck and they aren't talented. Sure. Those girls were amazing. The whole show was about when adults pretend kids don't exist. Mm -hmm. And so it was weird to me that like sometimes they were kids, but then her older brother wasn't a kid. Yeah. But then there were kids in the ensemble, but clearly adults in the ensemble. I was like, they should all be adults. And you should treat these kids, you should treat these adults like kids just to show the artifice of there is no difference. See, okay. So yes, yes and yes. Uh, So when you said Matilda, I thought you, so you mean like everyone in the the cast should be adults? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is where we slightly disagree because I felt the entire cast but Matilda should be adults. Or that. She uh, should okay, be, so I would compromise guy. on that. Yeah. It just was too – it was too too many hats on the hat. Sure. Like, it was like what's the – what are we saying here? Like are we saying that kids are kids and leave them alone? Or are we saying kids are as smart as adults so stop talking down to them? Or are we saying kids are formidable and like I, I don't know it just like it was like some people were kids some people weren't kids uh. yeah so I I love Matilda I think it's such a wonderful show that production was interesting to me because I had got in we're, I mean we'll talk about Matilda for literally 10 seconds and we'll get back to Corn Boy but it is British so here yeah, we are and they're also about kids yeah so. yeah and we'll and we can sort of lean into sort of British aesthetic here um I got into Matilda through the cast album the London cast album mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. they did right out of uh Stratford Royal Shakespeare Company sorry the Royal Shakespeare Company um and fell in love with it I was like this is so brilliant these kids are actually really talented and I imagined a very dry staging I was um I remember listening to Miracle the opening number for the first time I'm like oh this is so great and then when I saw it on Broadway it was so over choreographed and I mean like it was very impressive yeah but the whole thing felt like a carnival ride yes and the words got lost like I remember um, there's the lyric that one of the girls has where she talks about being a ballerina and the brilliance of the lyric is that she pronounces it ballerina and I was like I imagined her just sort of like standing on the table and just like bopping to herself and being funny but they had her like lifted in the air and doing twirls and I was like that's too much yeah Um, that whole production and I thought was a bit too much and then with all of that and the knowledge of she's a kid yeah it to me was like I didn't really get the sense that there was an opinion as to why these kids were kids and which kids were kids and which ones were adults it mm-hmm. felt like just very much like I don't know you're a swing can you um cover that role yeah. that'll be an adult I, I think was like, if, Ugh, that's weird I feel like if it was a simplified production that show would have done better here and it did well but like that's another show where it took london by storm like it won every olivier you could it's still running it's still selling out over there and it ran like a very respectable four years here but didn't win best musical and i remember like it going up on tdf within like a year and a half of its run the other thing is like i i enjoyed the moments of matilda that leaned into the like it's sort of a wacky artifice story we're telling mm-hmm. it with style so like i liked that miss trunchbull was like played by a man oh that's the only way that role should be played on broadway or on but a i'm confused as to why miss trunchbull's a man in a in a dress mm-hmm. so to speak that sounds derogatory that's not what i mean whereas matilda's a real little girl sure and some kids are real little kids and some kids aren't do you know what i mean like yeah because that because then at that point i'm like so are we making fun of you or are you are are you miss trunchbull scary scary miss trunchbull 
do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I'm like, uh, are we making fun of her older brother for being an adult in a kid in a kid think, role with an adult body? I think part of it was to create some sort of remove there because Trunchbull is supposed to be a threat, but it is, st- but also still funny because it's it's Roald Dahl who is you know dark humor. Yeah, and I think making it a man adds a, a removes us as an audience member from seeing the despicable acts that she does and still be able to laugh at it because at the end of the day it is a man in a woman's outfit and the same thing with Michael like we can laugh at Michael because we're not watching a little kid be dumb we're watching a grown person play a dumb kid then um, then everybody needs to be a kid except Matilda or nobody needs to be a kid well so that's that's the other thing um I don't know that's I feel like that's another not British fetish but like <laughs> a Britishization in theater where like there are so many ideas on stage but not always a cohesive whole. Like, m- musicals really kind of elude uh, the English. They don't totally get it. When they create a good musical, it's almost by accident. Billy Elliot was, was London first, right? Yes. So that's one of the ones where I'm like, there were so many kids, mm-hmm. and there was no overlap between kid-adult. Yeah. Billy- and so I prefer that. I don't like Billy Elliot that much as a musical, period. But I'm happy that when he goes to ballet class, it's a bunch of little girls in tutus. Sure. Like, little girls in tutus. And it's not like some people like me being yeah. like, I'm 5'2". <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no. Where I'm like, so what is it then? Well, Billy Elliot, like, I'll say this to the day I die. Billy Elliot has one of the best first acts in musicals in recent years and uh, Solidarity in particular is what a brilliantly yeah. brilliantly also in the second number. act when they all go down and they all all you see left is their headlights yep. and they're that's an amazing beautiful beautiful moment. moment but like I it's a classic case of like they had these amazing moments in act one and then they do Merry Christmas Margaret Thatcher I'm like oh you just had to put that in there like you just had to <laughs> put in your political and like oh, there's and there's a, and there's political there. slant to Billy Elliot to begin with with I mean, the minor the whole, strike yeah that's yeah. the whole but point. with the movie it was more sort of like uh, like a cloud overhanging, so there would be references to it, but it wasn't like the thing. And the same thing in the show, it wasn't the thing, and then in actually the open, like, we're going to make it the thing for 10 seconds and go back. I'm like, either it's the thing the whole time, or it's not the thing at all. You can't, like, I don't know. I think that's something that Kushner's really good about, is that he's able to, Tony Kushner, for anyone wondering what that meant. Our good friend Kushner. Our good friend Kushner, who I saw on the street a couple of weeks ago and actually dropped my groceries. I saw him on the street once, and I almost passed out. It's And, and I think he knows... When people know it's 100%. him. hundred percent. Because he walks by and nobody notices who he is. And then one person And then will one go, person will be like, oh, oh yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh Absolutely. My God. I would love to be that kind of person. We're like, like once every three or four months, someone goes, oh, I can just go, I know. I know, I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> but like, I don't know. Um, so like, uh, Tony Kushner with Angels in America or Carolina Change is able to kind of weave politics in the fabric of his work. Um, and if you ever read the libretto to smile which i've told my listeners to do many times howard ashman was really good about weaving in reaganomics and like 80s uh political uh references throughout the show in a way that's like because what all of those shows have in common is that politics are a character's belief not a way of the world Mm -hmm. so it's not like so we only get to understand the way in which politics have affected the fabric of society and quote-unquote like working people or mm-hmm. like the quote-unquote normal people who would tell this like average day story yeah because well, we under because they react to the world in the way that they have been told to via politics yes. as opposed to being like i'm i believe this yeah well it's well yeah because it's not shoehorned in and it definitely gives you a sense of what the time is like for that show like i will if you ever want to know what kind of climate smile takes place in Literally one of the lyrics in the production numbers they have to do is Young and American. And all these girls go, yes, sir, we're tough enough. We can handle Gorbachev and then do a kick line. And I'm like, yeah, it's that's the 80s mentality. Like, we're American. We can do anything we want while wearing sparkly dresses. Right. Um, that's the 80s for you. Uh, and I think that something like Billy Elliot, I don't know. I feel like it's just, it's a little bipolar in that sense. There are times when it's an earnest musical about ballet, and then it becomes a Margaret Thatcher takedown. And it's and I remember there's like a giant puppet in that yeah, number. I was like, I was like, what puppet. show are we in now? Um, I think that if Corn Boy was on Broadway now, way to bring it back. <laughs> you're so welcome. Um, I do think people would think it was a welcome, heartwarming story. Mm-hmm. I do think we are in a climate at the present where we'd like to see families reunited. That mm-hmm. is just sort of like a fantasy of the present of just like, wouldn't that be nice if it mm-hmm. was this easy and like these kids get to just like find their parents and it's like, okay at the end. Yeah. 
I also think that it is a just it is a tough time to like decide to tell happy stories because I think you have to te- I think you have to tell them really really well. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, people are like, "This isn't real." Sure. And in many ways, I just feel frustrated because I'm not living this, mm-hmm. and and I don't even believe yours at all. I, I think. Do you know what I mean by yeah. that? Like, I think we have a hunger for happy stories, and we also are like so d- d- jaded and d- depressed with the state of the world that we're like, hey, if you're going to tell me a happy story, it better fucking rock. The show was lovely, mm-hmm. and it moved me deeply, and the actors committed to playing the high drama with utmost sincerity and there was no winking and there was no like in Jan Maxwell's big moment where she was like I've been manipulating you all along and they're mm-hmm. like and you knew you knew what happened to the baby she was like you know she had this like amazing monologue that was like if she had had the baby and she had kept it what would you have fucking done mm-hmm. you would have given it away also I just got it there first I'm being the vulture who gets to eat because yeah. you won't pay me properly for, for me to like have the life I want and you're just as like your eyes are just as blindfolded to, like, the equality of the universe. You think you're being so charitable by having, like, a concert at your fucking house, but the rest of the world's dying. Like, it was amazing. And, like, uh, moments like that were, like, truly played for real. Yeah. Um, that – Yeah. Is, uh, I, you keep talking about Corn Boy, and then it reminds me of other things. There was – I saw an Alan Bennett play in London at the Bridge Theater called Alleluia. Uh-huh. Uh, that had a couple of History Boys uh, in it, by the way, and Nicholas Heitner, who directed History Boys, directed it. But it takes place at a hospital um, in England, and the head nurse there, at the end you find – well, not the end, but halfway through the play, you find out she's killing patients. Uh-huh. And her criteria is basically one – it's because it's, well, it's, an, it's an elderly hospital. It's not a retirement home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's specifically for older patients. And her criteria is once they start uh, accidentally wetting the bed – in the middle of the night she kills them because she knows that that means they're on the road to becoming incontinent Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and when she finally gets found out and she gets tried when you eventually you find out she never meant to be a nurse she was kind of forced into it blah 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 but she's like she's her rationale is they were going to die anyway and i'm and they were on the road to having this really miserable existence i was saving them from that pain and not only that the hospital is overcrowded and we don't have and the government won't give us funds for more beds so like we need we need beds these people are on their way out i was speeding along the process um and everybody and it's testament to good writing that you listen to and you're like for a second i went okay yeah Just like for sure. for, all you need is that half second where you go okay where you go shit um just yeah so that's i love moments like that and i'm glad that jen maxwell got it she's amazing it would have run 10 times as long though if, if it, it weren't 11 <laughs> it was musical and it was 11 o'clock number yeah i don't know how you could have fixed i don't know how anybody could make corn boy a musical because there's so much fucking plot and to also have to be like now let's just sit and, and like sing emotion that doesn't that doesn't further the plot it would have been i think very difficult well you just sing through it and then you include a synopsis in the playbill like they must <laughs> they already mean, have the turntable i mean if they if they wanted to create it and have it be an, an epic, long musical of Les Mis proportion, it could probably work. Mm-hmm. But as you know, Great Expectations didn't work as a musical. It did not, nor did Tale of Two and Cities. Nor did Tale of Two Cities. Or Moby so Dick. So we don't like those. No. <sighs> we don't like those. Sung through musicals are really hard to do. Um, but also, we don't like... I, I don't think we have a taste for these, like, epics. No. It's weird because War Horse is the only thing I can think of that is, like, that okay. is, like, of that thing... That wasn't like a three-part thing like Coast of Utopia. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Where somebody's like, strap in. Here we go. We're going to fucking see these people from the day they're born to the day they die. It's going to be like Russian cinema. Like, <laughs> like. Well, it's different sensibilities. It's, we're, I don't know. I, I, just I don't, don't know. Think I honestly a, couldn't tell you. I know. I just, I don't think we have a taste for it unless there's something like some sort of je ne sais quoi. Because I think in Les Mis, what that is, is like, we love how much like, romance is in it sure like Les Mis has everything it has like drama hero anti-hero love story yeah unrequited love like it has it's a little everything. bit of everything that everybody wants to see and so like even if you're like Bo Fontaine you'll you're like yay confrontation yeah do well, something it, it literally goes back and forth well so it's interesting you say how uh we now like with these happy ending with these happy stories we need like realism we need some grittiness in there 
Did you see either the Miss Saigon or the Les Mis revivals? Saw Les Mis revival, did not see Miss Saigon. Okay. They both suffered from the same thing, which was that it was because it's the same director and designers where they're like, we're going to make this realistic and gritty. And I'm like, well, now you're just pointing out how ridiculous it is that these people are singing in moments where they have no business singing. I totally understand um, that. But what I think what I mean is like, it's not that it can't be a super happy ending. I think I said it just like has to be like, you have to tell it to me right. Sure. Well, because the, we're like, we're so, are, we're so like looking at happy endings with a critical eye, period. Mm-hmm. But we're really hungry for a good happy ending. We just want it, we just want to be like, please stick the landing. Well, that's, please make me feel something. But that's what I'm enforcing about what you're saying about uh, why shows like Corum Boy or like Lamez may not be part of our, uh, be uh, catered to our sensibilities right now because they are very epic shows with moments that aren't realistic and when you try to bring out the gritty realism instead of being like oh yes this is hitting me harder you're like well now that moment just seems ridiculous um like they i remember that name is revival during that whole fontaine death like the death was so intense it was like oh shit like she died and then all of confrontation like well this is stupid and she's like laying in the bed (laughs) yeah and miss saigon was the exact same thing where like moments were happening that uh, after kim and chris sleep together they have the whole conversation in recitative and they're trying to make it all realistic and have people ad-libbing downstage and i'm like well now you're just enforcing how stupid it is that they're having this fight about money on the dresser in, in recitative. recitative, yeah, for it's, sure. You say were you about to say recitative? No, just recit. Oh, re- recit. Yeah. Is that short for recitative? I think so. I see it in scores all the oh time, God. where people be like, tell, "Oh, the recit section." Tell me more about. Am this I wrong? Music. I don't know. You have. I'm tell me more about your. I, I don't know. You went to Michigan. Tell me more about your musical it's training been a from Michigan. A lot of years since I was doing music training in Michigan. So it's honestly, true. I don't know. So would you say Corum Boy is the respo- is responsible for? leading you away from musical theater from Michigan into your UCB path is uh, it directly no, responsible? Because it only made me want to be doing serious theater more. Okay. I was like, this is high drama. And I just, I, uh, I want to do a show that lets me like be this invested in like a character and live with them for, I thought like the, the fact that Xanthi Albert got to play this character who, who they played the, him, he, she played a 12 year old, no, 14 year old, 15 year old kid. Yeah. And then later played, his own son. nine-year-old son. I was like, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. Because it was great to watch her grow. Mm-hmm. Alexander was like a very serious, studious kid. Aaron was like a like a kid who wanted to like run around and was like, wow, music's amazing. And wasn't just like, music's my life. I have to make it serious. She like did different accents. She played the two kids very differently. She was very faithful to like a 15-year-old kid acts like this, but a mm-hmm. nine-year-old kid acts like this. She got to sing. She was an amazing actress. Like I was just like I, I saw that and was like, oh, I, I'm a serious actress. I'm gonna I'm gonna be in this too. You are a good serious actress, which no one would know. No one will you know. No one won't give me. No one will give me a chance. Well, you, no, you. Why do you think I got driven to the? To you'll the go the Melissa McCarthy route. You know, go do all these comedic right, and roles, then I'll get and then do. Can you ever forgive me? I mean, I don't resent that, and I think that she also did it right because yeah. I think that I think that if you are someone like Melissa McCarthy who has like such a breadth of comedic ta- comedic talent that is backed up by pathos, mm-hmm. it's only a matter of time until somebody's like, you know what's great about you? The pathos. And mm-hmm. you're like, thank you for noticing. I've been yeah. doing it all along. Yeah, well then you use your clout to then say, I've done, I made all this money for you doing these comedic stuff. Now I'm going to use my clout to do something dramatic I and mean, show you. You would you can argue that her breakthrough role, which was Bridesmaids, Bridesmaids yeah. The best parts of her in that movie are the moments where she's like, snap the fuck out of it. Yeah. Where she's a real person. Where she's a real person. Because, like, she's so funny in the other parts, but, like, a lot of people are funny. Yeah. And she's wacky, but a lot of people are wacky. wacky. But, like, the fact that she can go from that to that moment where she, like, has a truly serious moment is Mm. great. Also, we've talked about this before, you and I, in the past. Rose Byrne is so underappreciated in that movie. She really is. Her performance in that movie is... Phenomenal. Phenomenal. She's so sad and funny and, and it, you love her and you hate her. You do. And you want, yeah, you, you feel for her and then you want to bitch slap her at the same time. Right. But it's, like when she cries in the car, you're just oh like, yeah. oh my God. Oh yeah. The, I, Carrot, those roles are so hard to play. They're so hard it, to play. It's why I, it's why I feel like we need to give better due to those kind of roles. Like you, anytime I see night music and the Anne is good i want to find that actress and say congratulations yes because yes. that is anna's the one of the hardest roles in musical theater to crack and i think maybe three women in all of existence have cracked her um yeah that's all i had to say about that yeah uh so ali what do you have coming up that people can can see you do well i have no serious dramas coming up 
but unless we unless somebody like really wants me to be in a play in which case you can hit me up because i haven't done that in a while i'll write something for you please Allie gordon as rose byrne in the behind the scenes making of bridesmaids thank you there you go i can cry on command i have i found this recently and have you ever watched have you ever discovered yourself tapes and been like these still exist burn these i delete Anything I've ever recorded. Okay, I had to turn on my old computer mm-hmm. because I had to find a file, mm-hmm. and I opened up iMovie, and I had four different self-tapes for proof as Catherine. <laughs> I had four different, I didn't book any of them, but I had four different separate auditions as Catherine for proof. I do the same monologue for each one because that's the one they ask for, which mm-hmm. is in the very beginning when she's talking to Hal. Mm-hmm. I watched them. I cry in each one. I booked none of them. <laughs> I took a hammer, and I smashed the computer to smithereens. It is the saddest thing anyone's ever seen in human existence. Oh, my God. Acting is sad. Acting is very sad. So uh, I killed her. And I do a lot of comedy at UCB now in New York City. And, and you you're should come see me. hysterical. I've seen her. You're in a troupe. It's called Rumpelstiltskin. You're in oh one of many troops, though, it's, aren't you? Okay. The one thing you got wrong is that it's a musical theater reference. Rumpel teaser. Rumpel. Why did I say Rumpelstiltskin? <laughs> I meant to say Rumpel teaser. I'm so sorry. I'm on uh, three different teams right now at UCB. I can see you can see me there a lot of times. I basically live there. But if you are interested in any of the above, uh, every single Monday at nine o'clock, I do a team called Rumpel teaser, which is musical improv. Mm-hmm. We do a thirty minute improv narrative mm-hmm. made up on the spot. Very yes, I, I. That's the stuff that I've seen. Right, where you I do. Believe you've seen where it. You guys did like musical revenge stories oh my gosh that was even before rumple teaser that was baby grand guys that was my indie that was my indie team kids i have been invested in ali gordon's career for so long long time ago i was i went to the producers club and i sat in an audience with like seven people and i watched you guys it was lovely thank you well a lot of those people are still that's why she's that's why she's here today because i did that i'm cashing in it is um, so Rumble Teaser's Musical Improv. Uh, every third Monday of the month, I do a brand new sketch show. Mm-hmm. This is called Mod Night. My team is called House of Birds. Mod Night is just shorthand for that Monday nights at the theater or sketch night. It's like a, it's like an S- it's like a mini SNL. We yeah. have writers, and I'm an actor on that team, and we make a new sketch show every single month. Is that is Mod Night where I saw your Sophie's Choice clip? Yes. Okay, but any but people can find you on uh, Instagram. You're Miss Alice Nutting yes, on Instagram. Yes, I'm also. Um, my Instagram's now locked. Why is it locked? Because I got paranoid about people having it. Oh, no. But my Twitter's open. So that's to say, if you want to find Allie on Instagram... You can try. You can try. You can <laughs> I find... I am at Miss Alice Nutting. She is Miss Alice Nutting. I'm Miss Alice a... Nutting on Twitter, which I actually do like and I use quite they are, frequently. They are both uh, Mystery of Edwin Drood references. I know. Yes, Allie played the role once when she was 18 and she'll never let you forget it. I love that show. People, That show is loved by people who are in it and then not so much by the audience. Oh my god, I love seeing Drood. I'll go see Drood at any time. I find, I've, I've never been in it, so I can't say. I will just say I've seen three different productions and it's the first 20 minutes are always the, very fun and the last 20 minutes are always very fun. Oh my the god, in I betwe- love the in-between. The in-between, I'm just sort of like... <sighs> I love Drood. I will st- I will stand against it. I don't like Drood because I was in it. I like Drood because I like Drood. Okay, great. I like Murder Mysteries. I like Betty Buckley. I like Belty songs. Jan Maxwell did it all. That's the mystery. That's the murder mystery. There you go. Can you imagine uh, how good Jan Maxwell would have been? In oh, the she would have been amazing. Uh, and we're you and I are just Anglophiles who love Jan Maxwell. I, who doesn't love Jan Maxwell? I, I've never been more devastated to hear about anything in my Same. life. Well, so this leads to the second part. So I've got good news and I got bad news. Okay. We're coming to the end of this podcast. Okay, that's the good news. The way that John and I always end it is we end it with a big Broadway diva to belt us out or soprano us out at the end. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we've done Jan Maxwell already. That's okay. So you can't choose her. We've okay. also done Donna Murphy, so you can't oh choose her. Oh my God, okay. I know. You can, so. I'm going to choose Betty Buckley doing writing on the wall. Amazing. I don't think we've ever had Betty Buckley. Insane. What about Memory, that key change? That's not even a good song, but she makes it thrilling. She really does. Betty Buckley's Meadowlark? Well, first, of, first of all, no. She plays the violin? Let's, he, she plays. He Come plays. On. He plays the violin. I, I'm saying, sh- and then I was like, he plays right. the violin. My other choice would be Linda Eater doing Man of La Mancha. Ah. Uh, okay. <laughs> you agree? So, no. Now, now I have a Sophie's choice. Oh, my because God. Because I love Betty Buckley. I would absolutely have her play her writing on the wall or her replays the violin right? either one or linda Eater. eater's man of la mancha or i don't i'm gonna stay with or emily skinner in in um uh jacqueline hyde which is an underrated performance emily skinner 
there's no is there a recording of her yes there is and she where's the recording of Emily Skinner doing Jekyll and Hyde I will give it to you you also, find that for me the DVD what's her name Colleen Ballinger Colleen Ballinger doing good versus evil yeah I mean bitch. honestly play all of these to play, play all. it's gonna be just a giant mashup okay no no we got a Sophie's Choice it so we're gonna narrow it down I'm getting rid of Emily Skinner just because I don't have the recording Fine. you're gonna have to send that to me so what the, about how 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 deep do we want to go so wait should I give you the most random so choice? give so give me give me your Betty Buckley choice immediately my Betty Buckley choice is her doing an Eve was weak from Carrie. Ah! Oh! <laughs> oh, that might be the first time we've had to use a bootleg recording if we, if we choose it. So, and Eve was weak. Then yeah, we have just do the Linda- end of Sin Never Dies part yeah. of the end. The, the father don't forsake her. Okay, you know what? Fuck it. We'll do that. We're going to do Betty Buckley and Eve was weak. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> so, if you've made it this far, I'm very proud of you. Um, you either love me very much or you Corn love Al. Or you love... There's no. That would just be Messiah. Nobody would like Cornboy that much. My friend Allie will listen to this, who I went to go see Cornboy with the first time. Oh, our, uh, Allie, what's her last Allie name? Stock. Yeah, Stock. Yeah, she, we're the people who saw. I was about to say Allie Struck, and, and I knew that wasn't right. Closed down the house, weeping. I'm also, Allie when Stock. we saw it, we had we were in the balcony. That theater's a big theater. Yeah, it's the Imperial. There's one part where they dig up a dead baby, which is how they like discover this guy's plot. Yeah, and he gets arrested, which he eventually he evades it. But you know, you think at the end of Act One that he dies, like because he got arrested. Sure. Um, and there was an old woman behind us who, like, when they up, when they dig up the corpse, oh, it's like a this. very serious moment. Goes, dead baby, <laughs> like very loudly. Yeah. And I've never, if I hadn't already been crying, it would have been the funniest thing that ever happened to me. Oh yeah. I feel bad that this is the thing I chose because it's so in- inaccessible. I can't just be like pick up the cast recording, pick up the da da da. Yeah. Well, can people find the script anywhere? The, yep. You can find the script. You can read the novel. There's a lot of videos from the National Theater if you want to see like how mm-hmm. it's staged. Like you can definitely get a sense of what it looks like. Was the National doing their broadcasts by the time Corn Boy was no. there? No. Oh, Jesus Christ. But you know what? I still hope in the future that someday, because it runs so often and it's mm-hmm. like a Christmas classic there, yeah. like someday they'll film it. Yeah. I Maybe wonder... I will get to be the little boy. Maybe finally one day. I can be the boy. And I can be the dead baby. I just want a new revival of Corn Boy to be just me in white and I represent every dead baby. And I just stand on stage and I'm like, dead baby. It's very Eva Von Hove of you. Ugh, gross. Don't say that word, name in front of me. Me neither. I, See, well, that's why I love you. Well, Al, oh God, I can't, we can't continue talking because we're wrapping up. I know, But I Allie know. Gordon and I saw Lazarus together, which was the fi- which was the final nail in the coffin for me of Eva Van Hove, where I was like, I can't with you anymore. Do you remember when we went, okay, do you remember that we both okay. made the same John Mulaney joke at the same time though? Yes, okay, so, yes. <laughs> Okay, okay, wait, okay. okay, so everyone, I'm so sorry. I'm, I, I will make some edits to this episode, and it will be a lot shorter than it, than this recording is, but I have to keep this in mind. And I might have mentioned this at one point in a previous episode. If I did, I'm so sorry. But fuck you, because you're still listening. So, there's a John Mulaney joke where he talks about he saw Dean Cain on an episode of Law & Order. He's just talking about how weird it is yes. that famous people show up on Law & Order and you're not supposed to assume that they're guilty. Yes, but so, but and but not only that, but uh, he said when Dean Cain is in this lineup and the victim is looking at them through the partition, he says, like, he, I know it's this big dramatic moment. He goes, but I would have given anything for this woman to look through the partition and go, is, is that, that Dean Cain? So flash forward a little while. Flash flashback to this moment. Allie Gordon and I are at the New York Theater Workshop seeing Lazarus, which was the David Bowie musical, which was a sequel to some movie. Chris Miliotti was in that too? Full yes, circle. Chris Miliotti was in it, and a bunch of other people. Really weird, weird show. I could not stand it for the I life hated of me. It too. Um, Sorry. But uh, it was like, we're talking like filled with weird moments. And if you listened to Sickening the Taylor Swift jukebox musical that I created about All About Eve, that oh Eva Van Hoffe, quote unquote, directed, Allie, please listen to it. I will. I, I reference a lot of things in Eva Van Hoffe's staging, such as. As slipping and sliding in milk, uh, which I don't know if you remember that. Uh, yeah, how could yeah. I forget? I'm still yeah. disgusted by it. Michael C. Hall and I think Sophia and Caruso slip and sliding into milk, singing "We Could Be Heroes." I think it made me vegan. I was like, I can never <laughs> drink milk again. Like, but so there's a moment after this like giant moment of chaos in Lazarus, and there and the big set piece is this big TV screen in the middle of the stage. Everything goes to black, and then this photo comes across the screen in this blackness of a man and Allie Gordon and I at the exact same moment whisper to each other is that Alan, Alan Cumming? Cumming and then Alan Cumming pops up again he like has like, dialogue he has dialogue he pops up like six minutes later and he just pops up on the screen and he's supposed to be like it's it's a weird subplot with Sophia and Caruso it's very lovely bones yeah. where he like murdered he her murdered or something. Her. yeah but he was like a doctor but in like the town. in a sex way yeah <laughs> he murdered her in a sex way but he, like there's a minute of silence when he pops up on the screen and Allie and I just go is that, that Alan Cumming but also like at that point we'd already been like that's Alan Cumming right yeah like, and then Alan we were Cumming. like is that 
Dean Kane? Is that Dean Kane? Because like, what if like Sophie and Crystal was like, oh my, is that Alan, Alan Cumming? Alan Cumming, you murdered me. Yeah, that was fucking bad. Yeah, it was. It was so bad. And now I, she's a star. She is a star, and I love that because she's amazing. But she, I and she was amazing in that musical, even though that musical. Wasn't she bad. was. She was absolutely amazing. Life on Mars was the highlight of the show. So. Allie, we've come to the end. Now we're really at we, the now end. Now we're really at the end. Enjoy Betty Buckley. We're going to do Betty Buckley? Yeah. Betty Buckley's going to be our diva. She's going to close us out with, and Eve was weak. Yeah, it's my vote. Amazing. If the bootleg is too bad, and you don't think it lives. Then I'm then I'm calling it a day and doing... Uh, writing on the wall. Writing on the wall, yeah. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Those fantastic. are my final wishes. <laughs> Those are Allie's <laughs> final wishes. Thank you so much for making it to the end, guys. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm Allie. And hopefully John will be with us soon. Bye, John. Bye. I love you. Take us away, Betty. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.